And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hello, I'm Matt Orsat, Senior Director of Capital Markets Policy, CFA Institute. Welcome to the Sustainability Story, a podcast hosted by CFA Institute, where we talk to thought leaders in the ESG and sustainable investor world to help investors understand the world of environmental, social, and governance investment and analysis. Today, we are talking with Denise Vieger, Senior Manager, ESG Strategic Initiatives at Novartis. In the ESG Management Office, she leads the company's materiality analysis and consults country leadership teams in local analysis. In a role as Senior Manager ESG, she supports Novartis and various other strategic initiatives, such as the company's impact valuation efforts. Thanks for joining us, Denise. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for the invite. What an honor to be here today. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, on the, on the podcast, we, we want to talk to folks all over the world in, in every kind of discipline around ESG. We've talked to investors, talked to policymakers, and we want to talk to issuers. Uh, you're coming to us from Novartis. Uh, you have an interesting uh, ESG story to tell, we hope. Uh, I think I think you do. Uh, but to start things off, uh, can you kind of frame the discussion around uh, a number of fact that kind of helps, helps our audience kind of understand uh, what we're going to be talking about today? Sure, happy to. I guess everyone who uh, of you is familiar with the Edelman Trust Parameter actually knows that this year's edition uh, shows that the trust in business is increasing and actually larger than it is in media or government or in the NGO space, which is quite meaningful and actually, you know, kind of raises expectations vis-a-vis -vis business to be there. Um, there is also an expectation that CEOs actually get involved in societal issues, which uh, clearly shows that we have a role to play in solving these uh, societal problems that are out there. Great. We want to, before we get into uh, the, the really hard questions, uh, I wanted to kind of tee things up for our audience, give us an idea of kind of where we've come from, where we are, uh, and where we're going from, from your, your perspective, where you're coming from, from kind of the, the issuer side of things. Sure, happy to. And maybe, you know, my personal story is actually best fit here because it kind of shows and reflects how the, this space of sustainability has been changing over time. Um, actually, in 2008, when I had to choose my field of study, but 13 years ago, um, there was no option to actually study sustainability or court responsibility um, in a business or master programs. So that was qu quite a new space. And anyone who wanted to sort of influence the business space had to go into the NGO space, which for me was quite reactive. <laughs> so today, as you might have noticed, the space is quite full of um, ESG specialists. And if you kind of look into the educational area, um, the, there is numerous programs on sustainability from MBIs to, to kind of regular uh, uh, 
degrees of business um, advancement. So the space is overfull, which I feel is very, very exciting and fascinating that we have so many people wanting to move into the space. Tell us a little bit about where Novartis is on their journey on ESG. Uh, we we met uh, through a, a, a paper we were we're currently doing at uh, at CFN Institute on materiality, uh, and we thought Novartis was doing some interesting things around ESG, uh, and uh, and so we we bothered you see if you wanted to join us for the materiality paper. Luckily, you accepted. Uh, but tell our audience a little bit more about where, from an issuer perspective you see in Novartis sees ESG and, and just kind of what's the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, happy to. Well, maybe to understand better where we stand today, we got to look a little bit back into the history. And I think much of this started also when I when I joined about nine years ago, um, the company. So back at the time, we were very much, the ESG management was very much at the periphery of the company and not very much at the core. While today we're like actually part of corporate strategy. So there was a tremendous change of how we manage ESG within the company. Um, and I guess if you look back, there's sort of four forces that you can make out that led to this change. The first one was very much driven by the public and actually kind of started happening before I even joined the company, which was often the public pushing for sustainability, um, issue management, due to self-cost incidences, like we had a, a major spell at Schweizer Harley, which kind of polluted the Rhine River, uh, which then led to very thorough health, safety, and environment standards throughout the entire organization. We were dealing with some um, NGOs that, that had very activist um, strategies on shaming and blaming. So that was kind of getting us moving. But then when I joined, what the actual interest was from the analyst space was the thing that kept moving us throughout. So the analysts from like Dow Jones Sustainability Index, MSCI Sustainalytics, all of these guys, plus of course, from the more pharmaceutical related areas that like the Access to Medicine Index, these indices at the sudden sort of started creating a positive uh, competition, if you want to say, whenever our ranking came below the peers that, of course, triggered senior management interest, and then that led to improvement in the ESG space. And then just the, the third sort of push, just recently seeing that uh, much more over the last two years, this tremendously intensified is the attention of investors themselves, of actually, you know, mainstream investors. Well, I joined at the beginning, we had only investors that are really spe specialized in sustainability and kind of in showing an interest in that. These days, it's really the major asset managers and largest pension funds that come and talk to us about this issue, which then also leads to the fact that investor relations has become an interest in um, these topics. And we are able to push this forward quite harmoniously. And, and the voice of the investors actually became much more coherent across all the different investors when, when a few years back, this was not yet really the case. And then like I foresee sort of the forward push already around the corner, which is really sort of the regulatory wave, which I think we're going to talk about later as well, that then will bring about much of the of the change. But, but all of these have, have really led to the fact that we now kind of have an ESG management in the middle of the organization. Um, but, you know, with that being said, there's still kind of challenges out there that we need to embrace, such as the fact that it's actually really difficult to understand what is 
what, what is important in terms of ESG for a particular company. That's something where we don't have a lot of guidance, to be honest. If you look out there, there's not really many sustainability uh, assessment standards, so materiality assessment standard, if you wish. And also, if you talk about materiality, um, that's something that's not very clearly determined for the ESG space. I guess it's, it's also because of the nature of ESG as it is sort of non-financial, pre-financial and, and not really playing along with the financial fiscal year as we usually do um, tax ourselves. So, so all of these issues start you know, playing a role and we need to figure out how to balance them right. Yeah, but, but I guess in the end, it's all, it comes down to understanding really what, what our stakeholders want and how we as a company can sort of provide value to all of these stakeholders. So focusing on what's relevant for them always means that we also focus on what is relevant for us. You talked a little bit about uh, materiality and I, and I mentioned we met on uh, talking about a materiality project. Uh, you guys had a, a, one of the reasons we wanted you to talk to you is you guys had a more rigorous uh, analysis of materiality than most. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, happy to. So, you know, I just briefly spoke about the lack of the standards. So what we did, we actually tried to figure out ourselves how we can uh, come up with a thorough materiality assessment, which is sort of founded on two pillars, the quantitative as well as the qualitative pillar. Quantitative lets us understand what is important in terms of topics where we test through a survey different ESG topics so that the stakeholders can tell us how important they are plus how they perceive our performance vis-a-vis -vis these topics. Whereas the qualitative pillar kind of gives us insights on the why something is important for particular stakeholders. And with that, it also explains us a bit or shows us a bit the expectation levels that our stakeholders have vis-a-vis -vis our company. So that combined gives us a very thorough overview of what's relevant. Um, and you know, not just about the topics per se, but also how these topics need to evolve and how our performance needs to evolve over time. Tell us a little bit about um, how incentives are starting to be baked in, or ESG is starting to be baked into incentives. It's early days in this, and I'm just beginning to see more and more of this <clears throat> through, you know, you'll, you'll read, uh, you know, something in the FD or the journal about com X companies, you know, has new ESG standards tied, tied to in incentives and compensation, and that's relatively new. Could you tell us a little bit about how that works at Novartis and what you guys are doing? Sure, happy to. You know, you know, as I mentioned, we actually do take these results into our consideration when we do um, the design of the corporate strategy. So the, the last previous assessment, materiality assessment in 2017, actually informed the five strategic pillars of uh, Novartis. And with that, then um, we, of course, link the the incentives to these five strategic pillars. So that means that we have already today within the executive committee um, incentives, ESG targets uh, from, for instance, you know, patient breach targets to um, access strategies for lower income segments targets to the reduction of the carbon footprint, but also to, to the fact that we want to include human right assessments within the third party management process. So that's also the progress targets that we're, we're having in there. So there's numerous other targets, which we also disclose in, in our annual report and in the Artists and Society report one can look at um, that are already today part of the ESG um, incentive, so to speak, of the um, executive 
committee and awardees. All right, now let's talk about the really fun stuff: uh, regulation uh, around ESG. Uh, the EU is a, a, you know, ahead of the world in, in policy making and regulation around ESG. ESG. Uh, how does that affect you guys uh, being in 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 Europe, where the regulation and policy is farther along? Uh, how how do you see that, and how is that evolving? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well. The thing I need to clarify first is that Switzerland is not part of the EU, right? That's very important <laughs> That's to Swiss true. people. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But that being said, I mean, of course, we are listed on the Swiss stock market plus in the right. US. And I right. know in the US is also activity ongoing with regards to ESG regulations. But uh, nevertheless, the EU regulation that's upcoming and the, the current activity there in this space is, of course, important for us and will affect us as well. Because the, the new thing about these regulations is that it will not just affect companies within the sphere of the EU, but actually also outside. So if you want to sell in the EU, you're also being affected, which, you know, ultimately, whoever wants to sell in, in, in uh, Europe will have to follow these standards. So it's, of course, important for us. And it's nice to see because it's really the institution or the uh, intergovernmental organization that is really pushing this topic from a regulatory perspective, which we welcome. However, I think the challenge thereby is that we have currently numerous standards or maybe not yet standards, actually framework and guidelines. (laughs) So we're actually looking forward to having one standard and ideally, you know, in line with the sort of same quality level as we have for financial reporting. I mean, that would be really nice if if we then have kind of two sets like at the IFRS Foundation, for instance, uh, that show us the, the the reporting for the financial space, but then also for the ESG space. I think that would be from a company perspective to reduce the burden of reporting uh, quite nice. And I hope all of these activities in the EU are kind of leading up to that global standard. Denise, what ESG standards, SASB, TCFD and others, do you find the most useful are you guys using at Novartis? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I think there's so many out there and we, I think we comply with almost all of them, to be honest, Um, but all of them kind of look at different perspectives. So, you know, we appreciate them from different angles because they really kind of truly bring together the huge puzzle of ESG reporting as they all kind of come from a different perspective. But I think it's just, you know, time that we start integrating these. So there's these many standards like SASB actually brings about, um, you know, the industry perspective is really helpful. So it decides or helps us decide what is relevant from an industry perspective, whereas TCFD sort of brings in the dependencies piece. So understanding how we are um, basically exposed to climate change and could and that could impact us as a company. And then GRI very much looks at, uh, at it from a societal perspective, what is important for society. So all of these are really pieces of the puzzle, but it, it is important that we start bringing the narrative together and understanding, you know, having one red line through um, reporting. The, the challenge with all of these in addition that we have so many is that and that they cost so much work for us is that they all focus very much on output metrics. So not very much an outcome or impact metrics. You know, while outcome actually looks at um, how our business activity immediately affects sort of our surrounding within which we operate, impact then looks at sort of the overall impact or, or um, 
activities have on a national level and looks at it from a welfare perspective and well-being of the human being. So how does it change well, the well-being of human being you know, in an aggregated way, um, any of our basically activities. And I think that's, you know, that's the key question after all, right? It's not about, you know, how many patients we reach, but did we actually make a difference in that patient? And then, you know, with that um, difference and positive difference, hopefully in the patient, how can we then contribute to the socioeconomic welfare of a, con a company? That, that would be sort of the right question for us to ask. But these, these are things that the standards yet do not really cover. So what we have um, basically been supporting is the, the Valley Balancing Alliance, which looks into impact valuation, which looks really at this impact space and trying to capture that space. Um, and it basically looks at it through social, economic and environmental topics and sees um, tries to capture that impact also in a monetized way, not only within our own operation or, you know, caused by the activities of our own operation, but actually all the knock-on effects of the activities that we sort of initiate throughout the entire value chain, downstream as well as upstream. So this gives us an ability to see the full picture. And while we actually monetize uh, these impacts, we then have a language that's sort of comprehensible to everyone internally. So it's the language that the business already speaks. So at the sudden, these impact dimensions become comparable in a way, at least directionally correct. And so that we that, that can then be much more fed into our processes and decisions um, internally. So it becomes decision relevant, which the other standards often, you know, they those are all great metrics. But to be very honest, they're not you know, consistently considered in decision making, just because they're, you know, often kind of disconnected from the business in a way as well. So the idea is how can we provide metrics that actually can be utilized within decision makings after all, and then also allow us the comparison across different um, industries, right? So we would have a set of agnostic metrics that are relevant for all, environmental footprint is something, but also like the, the workforce question, but then also more specific metrics, impact metrics per industry, like for us to social impact of products. Um, so this will then allow the, the shareholders and, and also governments for that matter to, you know, compare us as a company against our peers, but on also across the industries. And I think that would be the relevant thing if we really want to make a change and want to show how we as a company create value, not just for the investors, but also for the patients, for the, for the healthcare systems, for the governments, etc. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the impact in the VBA. Uh, another one I'm keeping my eye on is uh, the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative out of uh, out of Harvard uh, and George Seraphim and his his team. Uh, I I agree. I think that's really an interesting place where this is going, and uh, I'll probably have to bother both of those those organizations to drag them on the podcast because, you know, it seems like SASB and TCFD and GRI have been around forever, but it's it's really not that long. But we're really starting to see more impact uh, people caring more about and asking the questions like, okay, those metrics are nice, but I want to measure the, the output, the impact. Uh, and we're starting to see more of that. And that will be an interesting space to watch as well. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, moving on a little bit, I wanted to uh, circle back to something you said earlier when you're talking about you know, things, how things uh, are happening at Novartis around ESG materiality, and that deals with engagement. 
uh, and how you're and, and, and giving people an understanding of, of how a company like yours uh, engages with investors and what that process, just a little bit more about what that's like. Yeah, sure. So at Novartis, we have actually an investor relations team that takes care of the immediate requests from investors. Um, but basically through my work, through the materiality assessment, we also reach out actively to investors. So we try to understand from them what are their expectations vis-a-vis -vis ESG matters. And we're actually just currently, over the course of this year, conducting another materiality assessment, as I mentioned before. Um, to understand you know, how things have shifted versus the time we did it in 2017. We kind of have a four-year four cycle. Um, and what really clearly came out through the engagement with investors was that the focus very much is on the social end. So you know, we were all a little bit afraid because there's so much fuss on the environment, which is clearly important and we need to address. And that also we as a pharmaceutical company needs to take care of that and needs to go to net zero at some point. Um, the, where we as a company though can really have the major impact, so to speak, is in the social space. We can give people access to our drugs. And how can we do this? How can we make sure we give access to all that needed and qualify for our drugs? So I think that's the area where we as a company, as a pharmaceutical company can make the biggest difference. And that was clearly you know, confirmed by the discussions with the investors. Um, and for them, after all, ESG management is just really a proxy of good governance. If you if, if, if they feel that you have do a good job with it with regards to ESG management, then they have also they're also confident that your governance is good within the company. And they clearly want to see the, the nexus between you know the, the materiality assessment work, how this then links into incentives as we talked about before, how this is actually reviewed by the board and how you know how this after all goes into the ESG strategy or corporate strategy. Um, and I think if they can start seeing this, uh, not that we only talk about, but they want to see proof, um, the more we, we can also satisfy their expectations. Yeah, I think engagement has grown so much in the past five, 10 years. Uh, I've been in this ESG and governance space for, for too long. Uh, and I remember a day when it was, you know, it was more, you know, people can disagree, but it was more adversarial and you know, why do you want to bother meeting with me kind of attitude from both sides in, in some cases. Uh, and I've seen that really improve over the past five to 10 years. And I think with things like ESG and natural capital, you know, we're just, we're moving more to that, to that space. Uh, let's finish up with uh, talking about uh, data and information. Uh, you know, the EU is, is, uh, is putting together its taxonomy and, and regulation around disclosures. Uh, we're talking in the summer 2021, the SEC and IFRS Foundation are both going to likely release something around climate uh, later this year. Uh, just your perspective on where we are with the data, the ESG data question uh, from you know, what you see from an issuer's perspective, uh, that would really be enlightening, I think, for our investors. Mm. Well, as you mentioned, there's so much activity right now. I've never seen that much activity <laughs> since I started working in this field. So that is truly you know, promising and makes me quite hopeful that finally we have it, that we will end up with a more rigid ESG reporting framework. Because as, as we mentioned before, it, it is currently um, quite a chaos and there's quite an alphabet soup that we kind of need to uh, align and remediate and um, make sure that we have one way of doing things, things rather than numerous ways. So I, I'm very hopeful. Um, 
that that this is is happening happening actually a bit faster than anticipated to be honest which is great to see um which then hopefully also kind of draws away the focus of my sustainability colleagues from you know the operational reporting towards a more strategic angle so that they can actually you know look at esg strategy rather than just trying to figure out where all the data points are in Excel files and uh, PowerPoint presentations because it's not integrated. So I hope I, this uh, push by the regulatory uh, wave actually leads to an integration of ESG reporting within financial reporting so that this can flow through the same pipeline, so to speak, uh, and that not the sustainability colleagues need to take care of that, but so that they can really shift towards strategic thinking. And then I hope it also enables sort of the integration of sustainability and court responsibility into traditional role profiles. Uh, right now, it's, you know, we have the sustainability team and we have the rest of the company sort of <laughs> to split. But I hope with this push towards integration, we will really go into traditional um, roles and maybe think about you know the chief value officer rather than the chief financial officer um, that can you know um, have which then clearly shows how this is becoming integrated so yeah that, that's my true hope I, I have not seen that much activity before and so I'm, I'm actually quite glad we do see it now yeah that'll be interesting to watch and and we'll kind of track that uh, over the the life of this podcast and as we talk to more and more people it'll be interesting to see how that evolves uh and you know folks we're talking to in january you know we'll be talking about hey you know what did you think about what the ifrs foundation came up with or what what the sec put out and how is that going to be useful and then you know if we're if we're still doing this three to five years from now we'll likely have a, a much more robust system it'll be It'll be interesting to see people can come back and listen to this podcast and 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 and, and talk about uh, all we all we didn't anticipate. We just to jump in, we actually did um, a little bit of an exercise about a year ago where we did a scenario analysis on the future of financial reporting, and we kind of foresaw that DIFRS is going to to come out with a standard. And we kind of in the in when we mapped that scenario, we had two a two standard IFRS approach where the first one was more like what is going what's going to happen right now, kind of looking at output metric on focusing on climate, et cetera. But the second wave we were foreseeing, I'm not sure if it's going to hold up or not, was that the IFRS Foundation really is going towards impact. And, you know, that would be, of course, our ideal scenario that we want to see as a company because it would then also truly benefit society at large. Yeah, and as we said, you know, that's where a lot of investors are focusing, and it will be it'll be interesting to see the speed with which that impact desire uh, makes its way into reporting and, and engagement and all those kind of things. So, so stay tuned, everyone. Uh, well, this is the part of the the podcast where, before we say goodbye, we want to give uh, our uh, our our listeners who have put up with us for this long uh, some homework. Uh, and so I asked folks, what are they reading? Uh, what do they think would be, uh, you know, educational uh, to our members, to investors who are who are listening to the podcast? Sure. Actually, in preparation of this uh, podcast, uh, my colleague Sonia Hout shared an article 
with me that she uh, wrote for the Global Solutions Summit uh, and is actually published in their last edition, which is called The Great Realignment Fueled by Impact. So I can truly recommend that read. Um, the Global Solution is actually, you know, the organization that supports the T20 and OECD uh, in addressing societal challenges. So not just her article is really interesting, but lots of other ones in that uh, edition. And then another, another read I can highly recommend I just read is an actual book, um, which is The Greens One by John Elkington. As you know, John Elkington is the founder of the Triple Bottom Line. Um, and he speaks about the, that we need to transition to a regenerative economy uh, through basically disruptive innovation and how we need to embrace that to create value and you know all of you who know him know that he has a very enticing language and it's it's a really truly great read just because his language is great and he sets out a trajectory of hope and uh, that we're not yet you know falling behind but we still are at the right point to change the trajectory of the external ecosystem towards the green swan scenario rather than the black swan that's great. I think those are great recommendations. Uh, thanks again, Denise, for joining us. Uh, I hope uh, this has been uh, useful for, for you. And I know our, our, our members and our uh, listeners uh, have probably gotten a lot out of it. So well, thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure. Well, I'll, I'll say goodbye and hopefully we'll be able to see each other again uh, in person uh, at a conference pretty soon. Indeed. Indeed. Right. Hopefully soon. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye, Matt. Thanks.